Welcome to Life Hurts, God Heals. I am one of your hosts, Kurt Flegel. And I'm your other host, Kim Ward. Welcome to this episode where we are going to be talking about the God who meets us where we are, which is super encouraging thought to think about. <laughs> but it can be really frustrating to, to practice in life and see God in the midst of our, our daily lives especially because you can't see him with your eyes and you can't hear him with your physical ears or see him with your physical eyes, as I was saying. So that gets frustrating. So let's start here. This idea of, of the, the idea that God meets us where we are. Mm-hmm. Where can that be found, first of all? Is that in Scripture? Does it tell us that God is with us? Oh, man. I mean, everything has yeah. to be measured, first of all, you know, uh, by Scripture, because I don't want to be talking out of my whatever, <laughs> you know. I, anything we say, it, I, I really want to emphasize this point right here, is any episode, anything we say, if, if you measure this by Scripture and check it out, that is the most important thing you can do with it. And I will highly encourage anyone to look look at look up scripture because it's the objective truth that we have mm-hmm. to measure all the subjectivity because every relationship is subjective, right? There's a reason why there's a lot of miscommunication in physical, like you know, relationships with other yeah. people where we can see them. Uh, when I say physical, I mean that we can see physically the person. <laughs> Not talking sex here, talking about just relationships in general. There's a lot of miscommunication when you can see another person, and yet they you hear them clearly, or you think you do, and only to find out you didn't understand what they're trying to say, because relationships are subjective, right? Yeah. And so, if that's true in our relationship with human beings. That's also true in our relationship with God. There, there's a lot of room for error, a lot of room for subjectivity. And so this is why scripture is so important. It is the objective truth that helps us um, sense when we think we're hearing God in our prayer life, in our thoughts, in our circumstances, as we're listening to, the other, to other people and we think God's speaking to us through them, we have to go to scripture to make sure it lines up. There is a tricky thing when it comes to Scripture as well because, you know, uh, our interpretation can be subjective if we're not careful to practice certain things that are called hermeneutics, right? Which is really just the the kind of the rules in interpreting Scripture and um, some of them like, are, are you taking, you know, one verse out of context or you're reading it within the framework of a whole, the bigger passage that it's in. Because it's right. really easy to take one verse out of context. And and also, are you interpreting it with by other scriptures? Like, scripture must be interpreted with other scripture. Because you can have a hard time um, understanding one scripture. Yeah. And misinterpreting it. And so, when you look at other scriptures to see how it lines up, that helps. And then the historical context. Do you know the culture? Do you know the person who was writing the that 
particular passage and who their audience was and why they were writing and the cultural aspects of what was happening. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of people, when it comes to Revelation, have a lot of interesting views on Revelation and and like lift it completely out of the context that, you know, that was happening, things that were happening right there when John was writing that letter uh, to the churches. And it's written to the churches in his time. And a lot of people don't just let that fly out the window and don't even look into what was happening in the Roman government, which was, you know, incidentally, a one-world government mm. in the first century. They ruled the world. There was one government yeah. that ruled the world. And, and we can miss that and, and, and then misinterpret things if we're not careful. So there are rules to guide Scripture. It is objective truth, but our interpretation is subjective. So all that to say, Scripture is important. Right. <laughs> I I hold scripture to a high high value. I also see that God speaks can speak through it to me right where I am. Yeah. And so you know like when we talk about let's talk about this is there scripture to back up this idea that God meets us where we are? Well, yeah, <laughs> but now my brain's doing the fun thing where it's like, wait, where was that again? Um, well, what, you know, sometimes, you know, I suck with addresses as well, like, you know, it's not you my know strong chapter and verse. So uh, just start talking and about what you're thinking yeah. of the scripture, like, you know, vaguely, generally. Yeah, well, you know, because as far as God meeting us, we're, we're at that for me, that's always come with the connotation of he's never leaving us. So there's, I will never leave you or forsake you. Right. Um, that's a huge one. And then we have, I know it's somewhere in Psalms where he talks about, I know when you stand up, I know when you sit down, mm -hmm. I know when you, you mm -hmm. know, when you're sleeping, when you're awake, I know your heart, I knew you before you were born, you yes. know, I formed you in your mother's womb, you know, mm -hmm. so we, we have that whole passage that talks to God being present in every aspect of our lives. Yeah. And then, and then in Isaiah, mm. we're, we're told that his name is Emmanuel, which mm. means... God with us. God with us, right. And so, yeah, so we have this idea of, of God being present in our lives. And then we have Ephesians 1 that mm. tells us that for those who believe in Jesus, they have the Holy Spirit yeah. um, as a seal, you know, and, and in those days, right, the, the, the seal, the emperor's seal, when it was placed on a letter or scroll or whatever to seal that with wax, anyone but the person who it was meant for, anyone else opening that, mm -hmm. that was punishable by death. So, like, it was the authority, the, the governmental authority that nobody could break that seal except for the one who is the author and the one who it was going to. Mm -hmm. And in that context, we're told we are sealed. For those who believe in Jesus, 
as well as John one twelve says, for those who receive him, for those who believe in his name, he gave the right to be children of God or become children of God. And so for those who believe and receive all of who he is and continue in that, they have they are sealed. They have the right to become children of God and they are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Which means that spirit is sealed in us and can never leave. So God, the spirit, God in the third person is living in us. How much more right here (laughs) with us can you get than in us? Right. So I think we've got scripture to back that up. Yeah. Jesus came to be with us. The Holy Spirit came to be in us. Yeah. So there is God with us, you know, mm-hmm. the God who meets us where we are. Uh, do you have any, just, not just in those moments, do you have any, like, stories from Scripture that show a moment where someone, where God met someone where they were? right where they were in their time of need. These, and then we'll move into our personal stories. And then we'll move into why that is a, why is it such a hard thing then, if this is all true? Why is oh, it man. not like every moment? But let's start with scripture. I'm going to forget if it's Elijah or Elisha. This is going to be fun. Oh, I do that too, all the Those time. Those two, why? Couldn't we have gotten two names that were a little more separate? <laughs> Uh, it's whichever one was first. Elijah. <laughs> there we go. That helps. But I was thinking just, you know, after he's he's just seen all these miracles, he just, you know, he soaks the sacrifice and God sends fire down. But then Jezebel's like, I'm going to kill you. And he goes, runs away. And it's like, I might as well die, you know. And God's like, take a nap, have some food. You'll be okay. Mm. Um but then, you know, he leads him out to the mountain and he he shows up in a way that he needs him to. Yeah. You know, and it's it's such a beautiful example to me. It's like, it's like, oh, well, you know, you'd think it'd be the earthquake and the, you know, all these mighty things. He's hiding in a cave. He's hiding in a cave on a, in a mountain. And, you know, God's like, I'm going to pass by. And it's like, oh, there's an earthquake. He's not in the earthquake. Fire, he's not in the fire, you know, wind, all this, this, these mighty things. You would think that be, would be where God's presence was. And then there was a whisper. Mm. And that's where, where God was. And he had to come close. And, and he listen. had to come close. And that's, that was the thing that God had been speaking. I think I was just reading this last week. And, you know, he's like, well, what is it about a still small voice? <laughs> It invites you to draw. It invites you to come closer. Right when someone's whispering, right? It invites you to draw close to that intimate place. Like you don't, you know, you're not going to let someone you don't trust whisper in your ear. I learned that with the seven-year-old. <laughs> Why? Is this, oh. your, is this your niece you're talking about? Oh yeah, yeah. I, I've made that mistake twice, and I will not do it again. I like my hearing. Uh, because she's like, Auntie Kim, I have something to tell you. Come closer. I fell for it. And then the loudest scream I could possibly imagine, right in my eardrum, that's just a little painful. Oh my gosh. And she managed that one more time. And she's like, no, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm like, <laughs> she wore me down. 
So, but there is, there has to be a certain amount of trust and intimacy in leaning close to someone else. You don't do that with a stranger as a general rule. Because they'll yell in your ear like that well, seven-year-old. Or, But you just don't know them. Personal space. Personal space, you know. There's more personal space given when you don't know someone mm-hmm. than when you know someone well. Yeah. Sounds like my youngest daughter. When she was seven years old, she realized her, that she she needs a lot of personal space. We were driving in the car, and she just came out and said, Dad... You're, you're, this is how you are. People, people, give me the people. And this is how I am. I live in a hamster bubble. Hmm. <laughs> that was her words. And and there's that little door, you know, when you put a hamster in that oh, little yeah, yeah. bubble that runs around, they can run around in. Yep. There's only a little door to get through, and there's only so much, you know, space to let people in. And she's like, I, can only, I will only let certain people in, and there's a big bubble around me for everyone else. Yeah. This kid was seven years old and that self-aware. I was like, wow, that's amazing. And so, yeah, you're right. It depends on who you are, but everyone has certain limits to who they'll let close and whisper in their ear. Yeah. And so there's an intim- intimacy involved in that scripture as God's whispering. Yeah. An invitation to come closer. And... There's another piece of that where God meets him where he's at, and that's even before he gets to the mountain. Yeah. What happens? He provides him food. He provides him water. He provides him a place to rest, you know, and gives him the words he needs to move forward. To keep going. Because, yeah. you know, I mean, you would think. It's it's the funniest thing. He's just seen God do all these crazy miracles and show up, but... One person gets mad, someone he knew was going to get mad, because let's face it, Jezebel wasn't exactly known for being calm and mellow. Yeah, he had a lot of critics as it was. Everybody's yeah. a critic. You know, but she goes after him, and the god he saw light things on fire all of a sudden isn't big enough to to deal with this, and he goes into the, I should just kill, you know, like, God, just take my life, like, I'm all alone. Running like, for his life. Running for his life, you know, in the middle of the desert, like, like let me just lay down under this bush and die. <laughs> Literally. And God's like, okay, here we go. Let me provide for you what you need. You need some food, you need some rest, you need some water. So take a nap. <laughs> How 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 many times do we need this, right? Mm-hmm. Eat some food, drink some water, take a nap, and when you wake up, you're gonna find out it's not quite as dire <laughs> as you know maybe what you thought it was. And the fact that God did that for him while he was running away, yeah, from what God had for him. If there's not a, a better story of um, of God meeting us where we are, you know, in that moment and providing for Him, and off the energy, like this was not this was not natural food and water. Yeah. This was supernatural. It let him it let him run like hard for days, if I remember correctly, yeah. in that moment, you know. And so here's God providing supernatural, empowering him in a supernatural way. To keep running away from what he God has for him. Yeah. And then God, and then he goes, so he runs, he hides in a cave. Yep. How many times do we run and hide? Mm. And here's God meeting him all along the way. Like there's, 
there is the God who meets us right where we are, even when we're running from him. Yeah. Amazing. That's the God who exists. That's who's real. And so God does meet us. We see it in scripture. How about stories from our life? Do you have any experiences, Kim, where God met you where you were? Yeah. Yeah. I, I told you one earlier, but I think I'm going to switch. Oh, okay. <laughs> to, to a different one. Just Surprise. because. Just because it's been on my heart a little bit more lately, I think. Um, so people who've heard my story before knows that there was a season where everything in my life was falling apart. Um, my sister was trying to kill herself. Our family was falling apart. My mom then tried to kill herself. Uh, I was super depressed and wanted to kill myself, but <laughs> didn't want the attention. So I, you know, I mean, honestly, like, if I was going to do it, I was going to succeed. And, you know, Oof. yeah. You know, it, and part of the only thing holding me back to a certain extent was the fact that I was a little afraid I was going to fail <laughs> mm. at that. Wow, that's what was holding you back? Yeah. The, one of the only times that fear of failure actually was a good thing. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I mean, that, that that's how bad it was, like, to be honest. Like, it was a really bad season. And so it was right when I first met my friend Robert. He'd just become the youth pastor a little bit ago. I'd been watching him with my sister with all of this, and he'd let me come and volunteer because um, we didn't have a college program. I was, like, pretty much the only one. Him and I were the only ones in that age group mm. in that whole church. <laughs> and so, you know, at that point, I knew about God. I had a lot of head knowledge, and I had pretty well zero experience with him. And I just remember, like, we would get halfway through worship, and the God we were singing about, I couldn't see. And it would break my heart. And I wouldn't be able to take it anymore. And being someone who doesn't cry in front of people as a general rule, I would literally bolt out the door. Well, quietly bolt out the door. I am a nine. I didn't want that much attention. Enneagram nine. Enneagram nine. <laughs> for those who know that. For, for those who know that, uh, essentially that was way too much attention for me. I was very good at being invisible when necessary, which felt frequent. And I would go and I would run, and where the, the church was located, just on the other side of it's a park. And if you go down, there's a cliff that overlooks the ocean. And there was this little tiny lookout. And it's not very, it, you know, there's much easier beach access locations, so it's not very popular. Most Unless you're local, most people don't know about mm. it in comparison. And I would go... And I would sit out there, and I would cry, and I would talk to God, even though I was pretty sure he didn't really care that much. You know, I didn't know how to hear his voice. And what I realized later was scripture would start popping into my head. Of, I will never leave you or forsake you. Hmm. You know, I have loved you with an everlasting love. All this stuff, like, <laughs> you know, and I was just like, oh, it's just my imagination. You know, because even then I recognized that the voice didn't sound quite like mine. But I hadn't been taught, you know, how God speaks. And then I'd pick up, you know, 30, 40 minutes later, pick back myself back up and go back in and act like nothing had happened and got got away with it somehow. 
you know, but it kept happening over and over again. And every time I would run out there, and mind you, this was happening pretty regularly. Sounds like a really tough season. It was, but every single time, scriptures would pop into my head, you know, and I would have that alone space I needed, you know. And then when I finally get to YWAM, Youth with a Mission, um, Chico, and the second week is an entire week on how God speaks. And they taught about that still small voice. And they taught about scripture and all the different ways God speaks. And I was like, oh, God was meeting me where I was in that season in a way where I could hear what little bit of hope I needed that I Mm. needed to hold on Mm. to, you know. Just enough to keep you from taking your own life. Just, just enough, you know. Would you say that in that moment you were like Elijah, uh, running for your life, running away, hiding? To a point, yeah. I mean, like, I joke that I probably spent the first 17, 18 years of my life asleep. Hmm. Because that was how I learned to cope with it. But, you know, you hit that point, eventually you can't stay asleep forever. That dam has to break. And, you know, and of course, yeah, then I started running. (laughs) It's like, well, if I can't stay asleep anymore, then running is the next best option. Mm. You know, from, (laughs) from, (laughs) from the point of view of someone who doesn't like dealing, which is all of us at some point, you know, and it, but it was just so crazy, like how God would show up. And like, I think about that. I think about songs that came out. In that time frame, Never Alone by Barlow Girl literally came out in that season. Or at least that's the first time I heard it was during that season. And talk about a song that wants to break you. It's like, you know, I waited for you today, but you didn't show. You know, you, you promised if I call, you said that you would be there. So even though I can't see you, are you still there? You know, and it talks about like, I'm going to hold on to what I know is true, even if I can't see it. Oh man, talk about a song that used to make me just... Mm. you know constant tears you know um the first cutlass album came out with a why do you run why do you hide don't you know i just want to be with you Mm. you know and i was like you could like looking back i can see all these different ways i was like here i am you know and then even just sending robert like obviously he didn't send robert to cayucas just for me (laughs) (laughs) are you sure (laughs) (laughs) you know or or just for liz or you know just for that but just him like giving me the safe space that i needed that i didn't have you know someone who was admittedly let me get away with a lot more than you do (laughs) in terms (laughs) of he he just kind of pretended he didn't see a lot of it but i at that time that's what i needed yeah you know, and it's so funny. It, you know, it was just one thing after the other. You know, I had God kept providing people to put these little nudges. So even though I didn't know how to hear him, he was still communicating, and you know, in a way that I could receive. Hmm. You know. While you're talking, I thought of one that. Um, just I was reminded of this week, and I had forgotten about it again. You know oh, yeah. how, how that happens. And uh, it was the first first night that I moved here to the central coast of California, mm-hmm. and 
I'd been reading a book that talked about the importance of building a foundation in prayer. Mm. And and in that I heard like an invitation from God asking me, what are you what are you going to build this new life that you're you know you're stepping into here on on the central coast after living in Las Vegas for 25 years. Mm-hmm. What are you going to build? What are you going to build this on? What's the foundation you're going to start with as soon as you get there? And I was like, prayer, definitely, you know. So I made a commitment that I was going to spend the first 24 hours in prayer. So I literally uh, drove in by myself. My wife and kids were still in Las Vegas because they were there's still about a month left of school and mm-hmm. so we drive I drive here with a with a car just filled uh, like every my wife is an awesome packer she yeah, filled she every nook and cranny of that car of that four door sedan <laughs> with everything she could shove in there plus two cats and she's like warning me do not open any of the doors except for your driver's door until you get there it's spring loaded <laughs> right oh and so I pull in after like a seven hour drive. It's like 10, I think by the time, I think that, yeah, by the time I got everything unloaded, yeah, it, everything did fly out when I opened the doors. Oh, yeah. But when I got everything into the house, it was probably like, I think it was like 10 o'clock at night or somewhere between 8 and 10, I don't remember. And I'm like, okay, this is where I begin. And I started praying, just going through the neighborhoods around my my new house, mm-hmm. uh, rental house that I was staying in, and which actually is where we still are here, <laughs> where we're recording right now. And I didn't know this neighborhood at all. Yeah. I didn't know anything about this place. So I'm walking through it in the middle of the night. It's a full moon, which was nice because yeah. I had enough light to see God provides. And um, I'm walking through the neighborhoods, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to go all the streets that are parallel to mine, and then I'm going to go to the ones that are, you know, uh, crisscross them, and I'm going to walk up and down all these streets until I get back to my house, and then I'm going to go up the street that my house is uh, crosses, like I'm close to the corner, so this street called Diablo. Yes, I live off of Devil Street, which is awesome. And so... um, as I'm doing this, I'm noticing there's a pattern developing in the neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. All the streets that like, are, par- are not parallel to mine, that cross mine, all end in cul-de-sacs. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay. So I'm just going back and forth, crisscrossing all these streets, making sure I'm covering every street in prayer, every house. As I'm going, and praying for the city that I'm now living in. I'm praying for what God has for me here. And then I hit all of these these streets that cross the street mine is on, you know, that I live on, uh, and they all end in these cul-de-sacs. So I'm like, okay, I'll go up to the end of that cul-de-sac, come back down, continue on, go back and forth on the other street and hit it. And I get to the final one, which is my street, and I'm going up it. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to hit this cul-de-sac. I know you're laughing because you know the street. Well, I didn't. And so I'm expecting to hit a cul-de-sac. I'm I'm expecting to hit a dead end, and then I'm going to come right back down, go to the last street, pray there, and then go downtown and pray. Yeah. And then I'll figure it out from there. But 
The street does not end in a cul-de-sac. In fact, it curves around. <laughs> it goes around another corner and then another corner and then just keeps going. And I'm all the way at the top of this hill in the middle of the night, in the dark. By this time, it's probably somewhere around 3 in the morning. I'm tired yeah. and a little bit delirious. <laughs> and I'm walking down this road and, there, and there's no end in sight. And it starts to rise up. And like like a, the street goes, is yeah. a little bit of a hill, a rise. And I'm like, okay, I'll have a view when I get to the top of this because there's hopefully enough moonlight, <laughs> you know, in the full moonlight to see. Yeah. And so I get to the top. And I look down the other side, and all I see stretching out into the darkness is a street that keeps going. <laughs> oh. Yeah, that sounds right. <laughs> and at that moment, I'm like, I just like, I don't know if I said it out loud or in my mind, but I was like, where in the world am I? Right? Like, what is happening? And where, I have no idea where I'm at. Yeah. This is not what I expected. And in that moment, I, Kim, I tell you, I heard God's voice as clearly as I hear yours. Mm-hmm. And what he said to me was a promise. In that moment, that I took it as a promise and said, Kurt, if you will trust me, you have no idea where I'll take you. And then my mind, you know, like it was profound. It was, it was powerful. And it was like there was such a heavy weight to it. Like it was real. Like the weight of that and the wonder of that was amazing. I was like, wow, I have, God just told me I have no idea where yeah. he's going to take me. And, and, and now like that could come across in a, in a bad way. Like, oh, you have no idea, buddy. <laughs> right? Yeah. But I, every, every sense in me was, was receiving like Kurt wonder you have no idea the places that you will go and the places I'll take you and and here's here's where just I can't help myself because even in the weight of that and the wonder of it my mind squirreled to Dr. Seuss Uh, that's funny that's where my mind just squirreled to yeah right oh the places you'll go right and and but it was such a profound moment you know like there was such a peace that settled into my heart. It was so powerful. Like God's presence was so real for me. I just kept walking. And, yeah. and it wasn't very long before I saw that the road teed off. And I was like, okay, I'm going back. You know, I got to the end of this one, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was all during that, even as tired as I was, as lost as I was feeling, you know, yeah. wondering where I was in that moment, God's presence, that he, he met me there. And in all my confusion, and and not know, in the dark of the night, yeah, as dark as it was in the middle of the night, here's God meeting me there, mm-hmm. speaking clearly, and bringing such a sense of His presence. And what I found is when when we are aware of His presence, what comes, what we what we find is power and peace. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what that brought me in that moment. But here's the question. Yeah. How, how, how come these stories seem to be, in, you know, in some ways far and in between? And there are plenty of people out there that would say, I have no such story of what you and Kim just shared. I don't have any stories like that. You know, what, why is that? 
and what are we missing? You know, like when we don't have stories or we don't sense God's presence. Is there something that we can do about it? Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, because I would have said that for a long time. I mean, you know, looking back now, I, I see my story differently. But I remember even writing, you had to kind of write your testimony when you applied to go to Youth with the Mission to do the discipleship school. And mine read like a vanilla little just grew up in the church, accepted Jesus at five, grew up serving in the church, you know, and that was like it. That was all at that point I had acknowledged. Like I was at a point where I wasn't acknowledging, you know, any of the pain or any of the drama or anything like that because I just couldn't deal. So, okay. But... I think that we get caught up in our own world and our own wants and our own desires and the busyness that comes with living and surviving and it can be hard because we live in a culture that really values being busy yes we do that you know i mean i even i feel the pressure because you know i'm not working full-time you know sometimes people are like oh you're only working part-time i'm like well as far as being paid yes yeah you know and and so there's just a little bit of like well when are you going to grow up i don't know how many times i've heard that when are you going to grow up and get a real job (laughs) you know because if you look at it from the outside, you know, a fast food job is not exactly the pinnacle of success. You know, especially not in the kind of family I grew up in when every, where everyone has a degree, you know, and worked hard and planned in advance and yeah. all of that. But I think we tend to think of God as distant when we're not seeking him when we haven't experienced him because we have a tendency to keep it all in our head as as just well i know these things and i've read these books and you know i've learned why this is true maybe i've even learned apologetics which you know i was forced to (laughs) in junior high um which i will give my mom credit for you know forcing you for forcing me because it allowed me to hold on to it as truth even when I wasn't experiencing it. Like, I had no doubt that the Bible was true by that point. You know, like, I'd been taken through all the, like, the historical evidence for the Bible being true. I'd been taken through the historical evidence for, you know, Christ coming and living and dying and being resurrected and the witnesses and the various different... You know, so I had a firm apologetics background as a 14-year-old because my mom believed that was important. And she was homeschooling us at that point, so I did not have a choice as far as participating goes. (laughs) But it was never, you know, it was never heart or experience, which is a whole different 
ball game. And I think sometimes we're afraid God won't show up. Like if we push him for it, that he, he won't, you know, um, we've talked before in person and you, when we talked yesterday, you know, about my struggle with just praying for something for years and never seeing it happen, you know, with, with praying that God, you know, I saw my sister who's adopted as well. I saw her mom, her birth mom reach out, fight for her, fight to be present in her life. I mean, eventually she did leave, but she was there. And then I saw the same thing happen with her dad. And it wasn't, it was never something that Liz initiated. And I was like, God, I want that. Like, what's wrong with me that I'm not being fought for like that? You know? And so I kept praying for it and praying for it and praying for it and praying for it. And it, honestly, it still hasn't happened. You know, if I, I have contact with my birth mom now, but it's pretty well always if I initiate it. Right. You know, yeah. and I'm still a secret to all but one of my siblings. Because of, she doesn't want to share. She, she, doesn't, she doesn't want to admit what she did. She doesn't want to admit that she's been lying for the last 37 years. And so because she hasn't gotten healed and hasn't gotten healthy, I'm paying for it. Mm. <laughs> and that that's a very hard thing to, to wrestle with. To go, God, I've been praying for this for over 30 years and not seen the answer I wanted, <laughs> mm. you know? And it's funny cause he keeps in the middle of all that. He keeps taking me back to all these different places where I talk to him about it, uh, in my head. Like we have these really nice, fun, little vivid pictures of the tree fort that was down below that I built and the other tree fort that I abandoned because the ants were crazy annoying and the fort in the barn and all these different places all the places that I remember talking to him about it and he's like well am I here mm. yeah was I here in this and you know, I'm still not to the point where I'm like, I'm like, yeah, I can see you here. I'm not feeling it, but I'm at least seeing you in those moments. You know, so we're that that's of course that's the current working through of that one. But he's like, but I was there. How else am I showing you this? Like, remember this. You know, over and over and over again, you wandering through the corral or climbing on the pipes or you know. I had a billion different hiding places. <laughs> I was good at that. Even then. <laughs> you know. But the invitation is you have to start seeking. It's like we were talking yesterday. It's a treasure hunt. But funny thing about treasure hunts is they take paying attention. And they take intentionality. And they do take effort. They take us taking a step forward. And then finding God was there all along. Yeah. Because, like, we were talking yesterday about, uh, you know, when I was in the school of supernatural ministry, and one of the things they do is called treasure hunts, where you get together and you pray and you ask God to show you something or show you someone, and then you, and, like, show you where to go, and then you go out. So you're praying in... In a group, ideally. Before you go anywhere. Before, yeah, yeah. 
and so then you know hopefully you get something so yeah you're hoping to get like uh, a picture of something or a word or a phrase or you know whichever it really just depends on how god speaks most clearly to you i tend to be more of a words person i don't get pictures that often unless it's you know him and i just hanging out hmm. then i get pictures but as a general rule i mostly get words um and so, you know, you go out, and then you, you go and do it. You go looking for the treasure. And, yeah, you know, it impacts the people you find. Cause it's like, God talked to you about me? Mm. You know, there's something in it. But the real treasure, as we discussed once I finally opened my mouth, was the real treasure is finding God in the middle of that. Finding that he was there, that he was speaking to you. You know, it... I mean, what an amazing promise. You know, he promises, my sheep hear my voice. Yeah. You know, that means that that's something we can hold on to. But it does, it takes practice. And let's be honest, doing the treasure hunt for you wasn't very pleasurable, you know. Oh, I hated it. And why? Well, first off, I don't like talking to strangers. (laughs) I don't like approaching people. And so for me, it was as far out of my comfort zone pretty much as you could get at the time. So for me, that was just, I'm like, talk about the compl- something that would be not my personality type to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I didn't do it very often. I did actually skip one or two of them. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, there there's... And I think it's the same thing with all of us because sometimes it takes getting out of your comfort zone. You know, it's hard to be still and silent and rest when you're not used to it because often, because I know you've talked about it before, but the first thing that tends to hit us when we shut up long enough and we quiet down long enough is not always pleasant things. Right. It's usually negative negative thoughts that come up, condemning thoughts, thoughts of our own failures, memories of things that we've done wrong and hurt people or hurtful things people have said, like the times we didn't fulfill what we promised, mm-hmm. um, the things we did that we know are wrong yeah. and, and hurt ourselves and others. Yeah, all that comes up first. Yeah, because the enemy doesn't want us. To find that treasure. And there's a reason that when it talks about the kingdom of heaven being like a treasure, it says that the man sold everything he had to get that one treasure. And facing our crud is a cost. And Jesus makes it very clear we need to count the cost of what it costs to be with him and what it costs to follow him. And that means that we have to face our crud. <laughs> we got to face the things that are uncomfortable for us. Yeah. Yeah, and so, like, yeah, there's a direct line from your discomfort of going out and and having to go approach strangers, right? It's uncomfortable. You don't know what's going to happen. It could very easily be negative. They could, you know, yell at you or reject you or whatever. And there's that same sense, right, when we sit 
and get still enough to listen, those are the kinds of things that we're afraid of we're going to hear. I think there's a scripture that's really important to remember in those moments, like to hold to when we sit down and we're and our fear is the negativity is going to come up. And even when that stuff comes up, the condemning thoughts, mm-hmm. the enemy's voice, he, he, he masquerades as God's voice. Mm-hmm. So he wants us to think that's God's voice. But there's a, an important scripture, Romans 8.1. Mm-hmm. What is it? Oh, jeez. I'm thinking there, it's, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Yeah. We, like, this is our lifeline. Mm. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When we sit down to be still before God and those condemning thoughts come up, they are not from God, and that means we have to give them over to Him. Mm. And this is what's critical. There are two things, if we go back to both of our stories, mm-hmm. two things that we, that we uh, I can trace as practices for anyone who desperately wants to see and feel and experience God meeting them where they are. One, you said it, we both made the time. Yeah. I made a commitment of 24 hours in prayer. You, time and time again, bolted out the, be- the door and went and, and sat alone. But you made space, right? You yeah. sat in stillness and silence. And you felt what you felt, right? That's the other thing. As we have to be honest about our emotions, what we're thinking, what we're feeling. And we have to be honest not just to ourselves, but to God, Something really profound, at least it was profound for me, happened this week. Yeah. It was, I was having a conversation with somebody, and we were talking about the importance of both God awareness Mm -hmm. and self awareness, and how the two are intimately connected, intricately connected. Yeah. And it was this it's like, if we really believe that God meets us where we are, Mm then we have to know where we are. We have to be self-aware and know where we are, what we're thinking, what we're feeling, so that we can find him meeting us there. If we don't know where we are, if we don't take the time to be still and acknowledge and feel what we're feeling and, and be aware of what we're thinking and acknowledge those things before God, face those things and name them, how are we going to ever know if where God is if he's if we don't know where we are? Right? Yeah. If God meets us where we are and we don't know where we are, then we've lost yeah. the moment, right? And so the two things in both of our stories that are absolutely critical, I think, is making the time to be still with ourselves and in God's presence. Recognize when the condemnation condemning thoughts, the condemnation, the feelings of failure and shame, and all the things we're wrestling with come up, to recognize that God promises there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It is not from Him. Yeah. You know, it is not from Him. 
so that we then not only make space to feel these things, but we offer them to him knowing we're safe, that he's not condemning us, that we're safe with him. You know, and this is where it's super important for me is the vision that God gave me right out of John 13. You want to talk about objective truth again, scripture's objective truth right there. Where's it? John 12. Where Jesus is washing the disciples' feet. 13. 13, thank you. He's washing the disciples' feet. Mm -hmm. I mean, he strips off all of his clothes, his outer clothes, so that he only has his, you know, his inner wrappings. And he gets down on his hands and knees and washes the filth off of these followers that they've just been walking on roads and sandals that have been traveled by camels, donkeys, uh, people, and, you know, um, (laughs) dirty, muddy, unpaved roads, dusty for miles and miles, and everyone walks, and there's there's camel feces and donkey feces. There's nasty stuff all over the place. And here's Jesus... This is the job, from all of my understandings historically, the historical context, this is the job of the lowliest servant in the house. For whatever reason, when they all came in, there was nobody there to wash their feet. And supposedly the first one in the house, if there's, I've heard this, I don't have full um, study on this, but I've heard that if someone walks in as a guest and there's no one there to meet them, that they're supposed to take that, that, that role. Here's Jesus. If that's true, and I don't have all the backing for that, yeah. but let's just say that's true for the moment. And think of this. The first disciple walks in. Does he take up the towel in the basin? Nope. And this happens over and over again. Jesus has just invested years with these guys to give himself away to them. And he walks in and and he sees that they're not getting it. What he's been talking about, if you want to be the greatest, be a servant to all. And here he is, the night before he's going to die. He's after pouring out everything he's got into these guys, and they miss it. I mean, I don't know about you, but I would be super disappointed Yeah. <laughs> in that moment. And I would just be upset with these guys. But Jesus takes off his outer garments and he gets down on his hands and knees and washes the people's feet that just missed the mark. And... About a year and a half ago, I was reading that. And I saw, and I've shared this before, but I want to share it again because it's so profound. I saw a vision of Jesus at my feet, washing my feet, washing off all my failures, washing off all my crap and my dirty, smelly toes. And believe me, that's a lot. And... And he looks at me in the face, and I can't remember anything about his face other than those eyes, Kim, those eyes. There was just kindness and a welcoming 
just a welcoming, a sense of welcome in the, those eyes. And, and there was a smile in them, too. And just like the, a little bit of a sly, kind of an impish smile in there. And then he, without saying a word, he reaches up his hand to, to me. And I just know the invitation is, take my hand and come down here with me. Come to this place of serving with me. And it came from a place of no condemnation, just kindness. With all my filth and all my failures, he's like, come down here with me. And the point, first of all, was how safe I was because he was like, am I above you? Am I I the one standing above you, pointing down at you? No, I'm at your feet. And that was a safe, when I saw that, what a safe place, the kindness in his eyes. Of course I took his hand. Of course I wanted to be down there with him, even if it was in a place of serving others in a lowly place that no one wants. If that's where he is, that's where I want to be. Yeah. And so I took his hand, and immediately I went lower than I've ever gone before, only to find him at my feet, reaching out his hand again, smiling, washing my feet, saying, Kurt, you can never get lower than me. You can never get lower than me. And it's those kind of experiences that make me, little by little, be still. And when the condemning voices come up, I'm less and less tempted to run and hide like Elijah, like you and me, like our stories at times. Because of there is no condemnation. And when I get that still, I want that more and more. I want to be still in that place with him. Because he keeps showing me how kind he is. And so I'm, even when I'm running and hiding, I'm more open now to letting him in to minister to me and serve me and get me out of it faster because of how many times I've experienced his presence and how kind he is and how even when he's convicting me hard, it's, there's encouragement in it. It's to free me from the things that cripple me, not to, not to condemn me. And if you look at Elijah, Elijah was running and hiding, and he knew God was meeting him there. He saw God's presence. He was ministered to, even as he keeps running and hiding. Yeah. How, did, how, did he be, how was he aware of God's presence in those places, even as he was running and hiding? Unless he, we look back and see he had learned the practice over and over again before that of being still with God. We have stories of him all through that. And so this is practice. It takes practice. This is not anyone's default setting. Right? So it takes for us to practice God's presence, for us to see the God who meets us where we are, it means we have to practice being a getting still and being aware of our own, of where we are, of what we're feeling, what we're thinking, and acknowledging that before God. And the more we do it, the more we find a God who is kind, who is at our feet, who's reaching up and inviting us to be with him, where he is, that he is the opposite of what when we sit down and what we first feel. And so we, you know, like when you were on those treasure hunting trips, 
you had to fight through the awkwardness to see beyond, to see God beyond it. You had to go, the only way is through. There's a lot, you know what, we're always going to be tempted to run from sitting and being still because we know that those condemning things are going to come up, those thoughts yeah. and feelings. But the only way is through. And the, and the perfect story that, that shows us that is from Patch Adams. <laughs> and do, do you remember? I do, but you tell it better than I do. Well, so. you can, like, okay, he's... He's in a mental institution, and I know he has a roommate. Yes, an old guy an for old roommate. Guy. And he's constantly bugging him, how many, holding up his hand, going, "How many fingers am I holding up? How many fingers am I holding up?" And he always says five. And the guy just gets frustrated. Yeah. And he's like, "Ah," oh. and you know, and and Patch Adams doesn't understand why he's so frustrated with him. And that, but there's this one time where he does it. He yeah. holds up his fingers and says, how many fingers am I, am I holding up? And he says, five. And this time, the guy just grabs his hand and, and he says, don't look at the fingers, right? What does he say? This look, is where you're going to have to... Look past them. Yeah. Don't look at them. Look past them. Yeah. And tell me what you see. And he goes, he does it. And, you know, in movie magic, it shows mm-hmm. the fingers doubling, right? Yeah. Like, every time I look past it, I see the doubling of my fingers, and he says, ten! I see ten! And he goes, yes! Yes! Don't look at the issues. Don't look at just the, con- you know, the condemning feelings and thoughts you have, the feelings of failure and shame that come up when you first become still. Look past them, look beyond them, and see what no one else sees. Mm-hmm. Look beyond them, and you will see things that no one else sees, because that's where God is. The only way is through, and we have to look past those condemning thoughts to see God, yeah. to see those eyes at down and those that Jesus at our feet, looking up with those eyes of kindness, saying. I'm right down here. Yeah. I'm here. Come down here with me. And that's where we find the God who meets us right where we are is lower than us, serving us. Yeah. And it's beautiful. So the secret, the key to this is making the time yeah. and pushing through and trusting in Romans 8.1, there, no there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Yeah. And don't forget, you got to focus on Him. Yeah. And not on the circumstances. And not on, the, on those things that are, yeah, those feelings. Because, Give them over. Yeah, because if they're not condemning you, they're condemning Him. Mm-hmm. Trying to tell you that He's not who He said He is. Mm-hmm. Because I know, like, with, with what I was sharing earlier, that's been the bigger struggle is, like, is God really who he says he is? Because what I'm seeing in my circumstances isn't matching up with what the Bible says about him and what I've experienced with him in all these other areas. You know? And so taking the time to go, okay, God, I don't like what I'm seeing in this moment. Help me to see past this, to see who you really are. Mm. Because I know, part of me knows still that you are good. 
and that you're not powerless. Help me to see where you were in this. Yep. And help me to see where you were clearly. <laughs> because that that is what our circumstances do. Is It's the same story that's been from the beginning. Did God really say? Is God really who he says he is? Can you really trust that he is good? Yeah. Well, the answer is yes, but it takes practice. Yeah. It takes lots of practice. It takes, it takes being still, making mm-hmm. the time to be still, making the time to, be, uh, to acknowledge before him what we're feeling and thinking, not focusing on it, but focusing on him beyond it and giving those things to him until we, and keep pushing through into, with surrendering those thoughts and feelings until, until we see him and his love for us and settle in. Practice, practice, practice. Yep. So when do we, yeah, uh, Kim, let's pray for, for everyone listening to, Take a step or keep taking steps and practicing, mm-hmm. including us. <laughs> you, want, you want to pray or you want me You're to pray? Great. Okay. <laughs> God, yeah, we just come before you with this and thank you for these encouraging words. Even as, as I'm talking and listening to Kim, just encouraged by you in this and reminded of just how, how much more there is and it's not how far I have to go or Kim has to go or anyone else that's listening has to go. It's actually how many more treasures you've placed in our path into the future. How many more experiences with you we can have. That's what it's all about. There's more treasure hunts in each moment and each day. From now to eternity, God, we pray that you will lead us, give us the We have the empowerment, God. We have the power. Help us believe. Help us overcome our unbelief. You're giving us everything we need. You're giving us all of who you are, as John 1.12 says. So help us receive. To do that, help us overcome our resistance. So we pray for everyone listening and ourselves, God, that you will break through that you love to be the one to call us to these places. Give us sensitivity to see and hear your invitation and the faith to step in one step at a time and practice, practice, practice. Thank you that you are always present. You are always meeting us where we are. Help us be present to our own stuff so that we can see where you're present, where you're meeting us there. I just love that, God, that you meet us where we are. Help us know where we are so we can see you there. We just pray for that in Jesus' name. And his authority that he's given to us, and your authority, Jesus, that you've given to us, and your power that you've given to us through the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Amen. And hey, if you wanted to uh, get in contact with us... We would love to hear from you. We are on Facebook, uh, Life Hurts God Heals. I, Kim and I are both on Instagram. Uh, Kim Ward, I think it is, right? No. What is it? Do you want to share it? Yeah, just 
I literally have forgotten my own Instagram name a couple times. So. <laughs> I think mine's Flagel Kurt. It's it's either my uh, first and last it's name. It's Kimpy thirty six. How do you how do you K I M P Y thirty six. Okay. And I think mine is just Flagel Kurt or Kurt Flagel. You can find us on Instagram, reach out to us there, message us. You can message us on Facebook. Or you can um, you can also just email us life hurts God heals twenty twenty. Gmail at gmail.com. Life hurts got heals twenty twenty at gmail.com. And uh, we have a YouTube account that we're slowly moving to uh, put some content up there. It, it's pretty it's there, it's just nothing there. So pray for us in that. <laughs> and until next time, just remember you are God's beloved. So be loved. <laughs> <laughs>